What have you been watching so far this year? A general topic, I know, but hey, even Tim and I have an off month occasionally. <laughs> Never would have guessed. Yeah. Are you just watching episode 127, What We've Been Watching? Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And we're going to get our act together, I promise. <laughs> yeah, more like Abbott and Costello. Yeah. Well, April was just a super weird month because we just, you know, I couldn't figure out what I wanted to talk about. There, there was just nothing jumping out. And we mm. tried one thing, and we both kind of hemmed and hawed over it. And then we tried something else, and we both kind of hemmed and hawed over it. Mm. So we ended up just doing a general topic. And I don't know whether people like these or not. We typically do about one of these once a year, I think. I don't know whether people like our more general episodes. I know our ones we've done on commercials have gotten really good reviews. So I think maybe we should yeah. do one of those again sometime. But. We'd love to get feedback, you know, yeah. from from the listeners. We would always appreciate some feedback on whether or not you appreciate these one-off episodes or if we should just, you know, stick to movies. Or if we don't have a movie to talk about, just skip a month. I don't know. But I feel like our listeners deserve an episode a month because that's how often we do them. And if yep. we don't have a topic, we'll we'll make something up, I guess. But one of the things that we actually thought about doing this episode on was the TV series Reacher, which is on Amazon. And that was one that doesn't really necessarily fit in our, within our show criteria for the most part, because it is rated MA. And so it's got a lot of objectionable content in it that we typically try to avoid. <laughs> when talking about things for this podcast, simply because I know a lot of our listeners avoid anything higher than PG-13. Some of them won't go mm -hmm. higher than PG. So, you know, some of them can't listen to episodes when we talk about things higher than that in rating. But Reacher was something that you had brought up in one of our previous episodes. I'm trying to remember which one that was now. It was in Redeeming Love, because we were talking about comparing the books to the media presentation. Ah, And yeah. we were talking about Reacher being presented by Tom Cruise. Yeah. If and I the recall fact that, correctly. Yeah. I, I think the, the context was because the Michael was uh, in the book was a big guy and in the movie, yeah. he was a little guy. Yeah. Yeah. So same context as Reacher, because I guess in the movie, they presented him as a much smaller guy. I hadn't seen the movie, so I don't know. <laughs> I can't make that comparison. It's actually two of them, I think. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah. It's, I want to say Cruz has done two Reacher. And he he does, you know, a, a respectable job. Right. When Tom Cruise puts his mind to something, you know, he does a good job. Let's face it. Oh, he's a good actor. So. Yeah. I mean, part of acting is just becoming another person. So if he wants to become a, a big, tall guy, then in his mind anyway, he can do so. <laughs> you know. <laughs> When you get to be as successful as he is, if he wants us to say he's a big, tall guy, I'll say it. What the heck? Yeah. Well, we, we live in identity culture now, so just if it's whatever you identify oh, yeah. as. I identify as a six foot three uh, football player. Yeah, and you could be that in the meta. So that's what yeah. everybody's uh, yeah, talking about now. Yeah. <laughs> 
it seems like we did a movie on that idea recently. Uh, and then maybe it's been a couple of years now. Ready Player One. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I wonder if they're going to make this sequel. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> rabbit trail. <laughs> there are, everything's a rabbit trail in this episode. <laughs> uh, fair point. <laughs> We're like uh, Alice following the white rabbit here. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Is Reacher, you know, where it's it's kind of like he's dealing with a different case and but in this particular, the series is yeah. more just dealing with one case and then... So the Reacher books by Lee Childs are, you know, very standard fare for that genre of uh, okay. book writing. Sort of like uh, half detective and, and half action. Okay. And each book covers a different case. And the Reacher series on Amazon, I think... It was almost entirely the first Reacher book called The Killing Fields. Okay. But if I remember correctly from one of the videos that I watched, that they actually borrowed from a couple of the other books in some other scenes. I haven't actually read any of the books. It's not a style that I normally get into. My uncle is a huge fan of Reacher. Hmm. And I think I mentioned this back in, in the other episode. He ranted to me for a good 15, 20 minutes on Tom Cruise portraying the character of Reacher because he was so wrong physical specimen. Right. I'm sure he liked the Amazon one, though, because he really fit it, being yeah, such, actually, a, such a big guy. I watched the first two episodes, and at the end of watching the, first, the second episode, I actually texted my uncle and said, hey, have you checked this out? And it turns out he was already three episodes ahead of me by that point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, the... It caught me up when I first started watching it. I wasn't sure whether I was going to like it or not, but the way they end every episode, you you kind of have to keep going. And yeah, exactly. It's one of those series where you can't just watch just one, and and you typically the bad stuff in it it kind of catches you by surprise, and then it's gone, and you're moving on to something else. And so it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It it's not so objectionable that it forces you to turn it off and stop watching, which can be a bad thing. <laughs> Because then you expose yourself to more of it. More than normal Hollywood fare, at least. Right. I feel like the bad stuff in Reacher served the story to a fair extent. Right. Whereas, you know, a lot of these shows are just, they just throw, like Game of Thrones is famous for throwing it in for shock value. Right. So it served the purpose. I, I would be interested, actually, in going back and... Watching, I think, what's it called? Angel Vid? Oh, Vid Angel. Vid Angel. Yeah. Where they go through and they, they trim out the bad stuff. I think, I, I question whether I would be able to tell the difference. Because you kind of automatically censor as you're watching. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I honestly, I remember there being a shower scene. Mm-hmm. And I remember there being a crucifixion scene. But mm-hmm. I don't really remember the nudity. Yeah. Part of me worries that I might just be desensitized to it now. Yeah. And and part of that is, you know, the automatic censoring that we do, part of that is desensitization because we've yeah. we've seen it enough that we can, oh, there it is again and, and move on. Mm-hmm. But maybe that says something about us, but I did notice <laughs> it. And <laughs> the objectionable material didn't detract from it. Let's put it that way. It's like there was a story that shone through quite clearly. And there is enough in it to talk about. The only issue as to why we didn't want to do an entire episode on Reacher is we were reaching for themes. Uh, so, ha, ha, ha. 
The biggest one I saw was the wolf in sheep's clothing. There was a a big element of who's trustworthy in in the whole the whole entire yeah. season. Yep. You had people who you thought you could trust who turned out not to be trustworthy and then there was actually a character that they set up as being not trustworthy who ended up being a, a complete innocent and they didn't trust him and he ends up getting killed because of that. Mm-hmm. And so I mean it, it's there was just a lot of that and then you had this this business owner who'd come in and saved the town, you know, it's like the town saint. Yeah. He ends up, you know, being a bit of a wolf in sheep's clothing. You know, he comes in to save the town, but he's actually bringing in destructive stuff into the town and destructive people as well. You were you were talking about business owners, and I was thinking about the barber who actually is the heart and soul of the town. Right. Turns out to be like the... You know, the he's almost the prophet character of mm-hmm. the story, if it were a biblical story. Right. He's the one who provides the basically the voice of God to Reacher and points him in the right direction. The only difference is Reacher listens to him and, and Israel doesn't listen to the prophets. Yeah, so I mean that was the main thing that I saw in the movie was just this this wolf in sheep's clothing and being discerning and who you who you trust and and I think from a scriptural standpoint I didn't put any scripture down for that but I think that it's kind of woven a lot through the epistles you know talking about mm-hmm. false teachers and you know the the people who come into the body who are not of the body and who put on the appearance of spirituality but they aren't saved and there's just a lot of warnings about that in scripture and and I think this movie is is kind of a good catalyst to discuss that simply from the standpoint of we need the discernment of the spirit. We have to be, we can't judge yeah. the hearts of people. Only God can do that. And so when you're, especially when you're in a church environment and you have somebody who is speaking from authority, but they don't have the fruits of the spirit, then you can judge them based on what, you know, Jesus said, you know, a bad tree doesn't bear good fruit, good tree doesn't bear bad fruit. And so, and I think that's in Matthew 7. But yeah, it's it's just one of those those situations where, you know, you have to be discerning. Yeah. For clarification purposes, uh, you called it a movie a couple of times. It really is a series. It's yeah. six part series, I think. Which eight, I think. I think there's eight episodes. Eight, eight part. Yeah. Which, as we've discussed before, doing books as a series makes a lot more sense and allows you to be much yeah. truer right. to the source material. And that shines through in Reacher, mm-hmm. uh, Six Ways to Sunday. <laughs> it really is a much better presentation for this source material. And, you know, I actually put two scriptures in here. And the first one, First Corinthians 15... 33 is where Paul actually quotes an argument that is commonly thought to be from Socrates, do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. And I was thinking about how that applies to your wolf in sheep's clothing comment. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason that we don't know who to trust in Reacher is because we're viewing this all from, for the vast majority of it, from Reacher's viewpoint, right? Mm -hmm. He's coming into this town. He doesn't know anyone. And the first thing that happens to him as he comes into town is he gets arrested for murder. So 
his introduction into this little town is unwarranted persecution by the authorities. So he has to determine, you know, out of all these people who are in association of the authorities who are persecuting him, he has to figure out which ones are good people in bad company and which ones are bad people in bad company. And in real life, the Bible tells us that makes it's much more difficult. We shouldn't need to do that. We should be able to see an element of the a person's character through the people they associate with. Mm-hmm. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is actually talking about, <laughs> if I paraphrase, don't hang out with people who don't believe in the resurrection. Mm. because it's going to come back and bite you in the butt. So it's the same for us. When people see us and they don't know us, they shouldn't have a hard time figuring out what we stand for. We should be wearing our faith on our sleeve, right next to our heart, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And part of the way we do that is by associating with people who believe like we do, which is not to say that we shouldn't be going out or we should not have friends who aren't believers. Right. Because that's part of our mission field. Yeah. Exactly. Right. But even when we're with friends who aren't believers, we should be acting as witness. And our witness should speak volumes right. to people who watch. Right. So I actually had a theme that I had recommended in Reacher 2. And it's one of the thing about... Characters in general, another series that I watched, um, which actually ended last year, Bosch on Amazon, mm-hmm. which is based on a whole bunch of books by uh, Michael Connolly, I think. It's played by Titus Welliver, and he does such a good job playing Bosch. But his character is very similar. To Reacher's character, and I suspect it's common in the genre where they are self-dependent to the point of refusing to let other people help, Mm -hmm. uh, refusing to let people into their inner circle. And it got me wondering about how we should be viewing our protagonists. So I thought about the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13 which, you know, we all think of that as a love chapter. Right. The beginning of 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 and 2. If I speak human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And I was thinking about that specifically in regard to the character of Reacher. And I was looking at the character of Reacher, and I was thinking about, when I look at him, what fruits of the Spirit do I see and what works of the flesh? And uh, I won't list out all the works of the flesh, but you you can find them in Galatians 5. The first 20 verses of of, uh, Galatians 5. But the fruits of the Spirit are listed as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness, and self-control. And I was looking at Reacher's character and I was thinking, wow, you know, he has a couple of these. He has a, a sort of weird kind of piece, the piece of like a tiger or a a house cat (laughs) Mm -hmm. that is poised to spring, but not moving yet. That kind of piece. And self-control goes with that. You know, I don't remember in the series him evidencing any love. There's definitely lust, but I don't see any love or joy. He certainly is lacking in a bit of patience. He's got kindness, but it doesn't really manifest the way we'd expect it to. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, is that these are fruits of the spirit, but they also, some of these, they're things that anybody can have sometime. Right. Absolutely. Like in general, you know, some people can love, some people can have patience, some people can be good, and they can do that without the spirit. But it's a total constant. And and that's where it's, you know, convicting to us is like the fruit of the spirit should be a total constant evidence right. in our lives, not just a here that here sometimes there or sometimes. So, yeah, I mean, he can have some of the fruits of the spirit some of the time. But when you see the works of the flesh and in, con- in conjunction yeah. with with his character. Yeah, I think my wrap up point would be if we gravitate towards protagonists who do not reinforce the fruits of the spirit through their actions, through their attitude, then maybe we should be evaluating our viewing choices. Hmm. And I'm not saying that Reacher does it one way or the other. And I've said here on multiple occasions that I do not like antiheroes. I find them to be very frustrating because they are in as a general rule heroes that lack a moral compass so i th- i think we ought to use this to take a closer look and see does do our protagonists promote the works of the flesh or the fruit of the spirit and yes i know we're talking secular hollywood and <laughs> they're not they're not going to be out on the street corner as a general rule <laughs> shouting fruits of the spirit but, you know, th- this is 90% of the content that we have available for watching. Mm-hmm. So we should be discerning with it. Yeah. I agree with you on the whole anti-hero. I, d- I guess I just don't see... When I watched Reacher, I was actually a little impressed by his... Not necessarily his self-dependence, but his... He did seem to have a lot of uh, gallantry, like uh, even in the way he treated the female yeah. cop. And... Mm-hmm. He didn't come across as being a chauvinist or even really an, an angry guy. He was kind of just done with with what had, his life had been so far. no nonsense. Yeah, yeah, just no nonsense. And and at the same time, you know, just the way he acted when he got arrested, it's like he, he'd faced the world with so much <laughs> anger. I think that he was just immune to it. It was just like nothing surprised him anymore. It, you know, it was an interesting show. And... You know, if we'd had the time to really take it apart, you know, episode at a time, it might have been a good to do a full-fleshed episode on it, but we're going to move on. And before we move on, I do want to talk about how you can support our podcast. And 
I really appreciate the the people who do support us, which is right now Isaiah Santiano, Craig Hardy, Stephen Brown II, David Lefton, and Peter Chapman, who give to us monthly through Patreon, which you can do as well by going to areyoujustwatching.com slash Patreon. And we do have a PayPal option if Patreon does not work for you. I know a lot of people are trying to abandon some of these more left-leaning organizations. Uh, so far, Patreon has not limited us in any way, so I guess we're not controversial enough. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, if if there is some other way that you would like to support our podcast, please just let us know, and we really do appreciate the support. Unfortunately, things are getting a little more expensive just in the general run of, of website maintenance and, and that kind of stuff. And it may uh, come a point where right now, are you just watching a self-hosted, which means that we bear the brunt of all of the expenses through our own website. And that can become a traffic problem on our website. Eventually, I may have to consider moving us to Blueberry or something like that. And at which point, then it would become a monthly cost to host the podcast. And so we really could use the financial support in the future if you want this podcast to continue to air. Now, the next thing that but I've been watching, and I didn't know Tim had been watching it until I put it in the outline, but there's a program called The Wheel of Time on Amazon. It's another series based on a book, well, book series by Robert Jordan. I have never read The Wheel mm-hmm. of Time books. I've seen them in libraries and in bookstores. And typically, this may sound a little weird, but typically in my fantasy reading, I avoid male authors. And mm. there's a reason for that. I typically like books that are driven more by the emotional content of the uh, fleshed out characters. And when men write sure. fantasy and science fiction, they tend to, to do more world building and more... Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, they're more epic, bigger, and they don't dwell as much on the characters. And so what appeals to me as reading material typically is more character-driven stories, and that usually comes more from women writers, because men and women are different. Ha-ha! Shocking. <laughs> Shocking, yeah. But so I have never read The Wheel of Time. The series is like 20 books, I think. And Jordan actually died three quarters of the way into the series. It was finished by one of my favorite authors, Brandon Sanderson. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting thing where I think that happens with the Dune books, too, where they get taken over and finished by someone else. It does happen. But no, I've never read the book, so I don't have anything to compare it to. And I'm only halfway through the season of the Wheel of Time series. There's only one season so far. I don't know whether there'll be a second. I listened to the first book, The Eye of the World, which is most of what the first season is, if I recall. But uh, I've never actually sat and read any of the books. And honestly, I found Wheel of Time to be, eh, meh. Yeah. You know, it it was okay. It was good. But I'm a fan of world building. (laughs) (laughs) And, Hmm. My favorite books usually have an adolescent boy who is, you know, down on his luck or is poor and realizes that he was born to greatness or something. You know, I, I like that story arc. Mm-hmm. I like that story arc in general. Yeah. And one of my favorite book series was actually by Raymond Feist that started with a book called the Magician, which was later broken into two books, uh, Magician Apprentice and Magician Master. We're not talking about favorite book series here. We're talking no, about the Wheel no, of we're Time. Not. <laughs> Wheel of Time had some of that element because it actually focuses on five young people who mm-hmm. 
may or may not be the cult of Dragon, Dragon Reborn. Yeah, Dragon Reborn. Yeah. In the book, they the young people were all male because the dragon is always a male. They changed as Hollywood is like to do. They took the gender roles that were established in Wheel of Time. And Wheel of Time is not actually that old a series. I want to say it's less than 30 years old, maybe. Mm-hmm. I think the first one was published in 92. But they they mixed it up and they decided that the Dragon Reborn could be either male or female, which allowed them to, you know, diversify the cast. And, and <laughs> it works okay in yeah. the series. And I appreciate that diversification. It does play an important role in Hollywood. Right. I'll actually talk a little later about going overboard on <laughs> diversification. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's good things about it and there are bad things about it. And I, I we've discussed this in multiple episodes about different things. I mean, the very first Spider-Man movie with Tom Holland kind of threw me off. I, I got a bit in trouble about talking about the diversity of the school that he was attending and found out that that's actually <laughs> the makeup of Queens now. I've never been to Queens, so I don't know. So in, in some cases, it's a good thing to be diversified if it's showing an authentic cast. Cross-section. Yeah, cross-section or cast of the story being yeah. told. It bothered me a little bit when we did the live action of Beating the Beast, where it didn't make sense in the era of France that the story took place for them to have a, a diverse <laughs> group of people in that small town. But, you know, sometimes you just do it for diversity's sake. And, yeah, you know, it, yeah. sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Having not read the books and not knowing that in the in the book, it was five young men and they changed it to young people. And two mm-hmm. of them are, is it just two of them that are women? I think so. Yeah. 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 and. One of them isn't even in the original group that was selected, too. So Right. Yeah, she kind of joins in later. But yeah, I mean, I wasn't turned off by the diversity. I did notice the fact that there was a lot of what I would consider middle brown casting done. I don't have a problem with that because as long as they all ethnically seem to fit in a group of people, the ethnicity uh, doesn't bother me at all. So... You know, I know what they were trying to do, but from the context of the story, and as long as it fits ethnically for an entire village to have that, you know, ethnic spread, it doesn't yeah. bother me. Yeah, I, I guess I've gotten to the point where the even if the ethnic breakup of the village were solely a purpose of diversification and didn't make any sense Mm-hmm. geographically. It, right. I think I've gotten to the point where that doesn't bother me. You know, back, I think, when we did the first Tom Holland Spider-Man movie, mm-hmm. the same one where we, we were talking about the school makeup. Yeah, the homecoming. Yeah. You and I had talked about whether or not there should be a black Spider-Man. And, and you know, we talked about Miles Morales and everything. But they were saying, no, they need to make Peter Parker black. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I still don't have a problem with that because Peter Parker is not a white character or a black character in my mind. He's a nerdy high school kid who gets bit by a radioactive spider and gains these wild abilities. I don't care if he's white, black, Asian, disabled, you know, as long as he's Peter Parker. So I think that sort of goes into the geographic makeup. Now, 
when logic starts to fail, I can't really come up with a good example, but you know, a village of all women that somehow still manages to create offspring, I, I might have a problem with that. Oh, Wonder Woman. Uh, yeah, the Amazons, except yeah. the Amazonians, they actually kidnapped men for that purpose. Mm -hmm. And in the movie, Diana was the only child. Oh, yeah, good point. Well, I don't want to get too far off of what we were discussing with Wheel of Time. Mm -hmm. This the problem with doing these like generic episodes is we tend to get off on <laughs> bunny channels too much. No way. One of the two things that I wanted to point out about Wheel of Time were the cultures that are represented, the power that is being welded by wielded, wield, wielded, wielded, <laughs> by the weld, well, <laughs> by the sorceress and her bodyguard, or the sorceress who rounds up these five young people. Is throughout the series they keep saying that if a man has the power, it drives him mad. So it's only a power that only women can hold. And I got to thinking about that as a synonym. And what is it that women can do that men can't do? And that is we bring life into the world. And not all women can mm -hmm. do it, but it is a power that only women can wield. And I thought that was kind of interesting as a as kind of a synonym for what's going on in this, especially when they're talking about a dragon reborn. Um, yeah. But I did want to point out that from the story aspect – Men used to wield the opposing power to women, but mm -hmm. that power, I, I don't know if it, if you've gotten to this point in the story, mm -hmm. that power was specifically corrupted by the original dragon. So mm -hmm. now it will drive men insane who try to wield it. Okay. Well, that's cool. Because I, I, like I said, I haven't finished the series, so I don't know what the outcome of a lot yeah. of this stuff is. The other thing that I thought was interesting in their portrayal in the world building, and I'm assuming this probably comes from the book too, is this religious cult who dresses all in white and goes around and oh, yeah. enforces truth. And uh, there's this one guy who burns any of the sorceresses that he can get his hands on at the stake. To me, I think it personifies the way a lot of fantasy writers see Christianity. And mm -hmm. I have read a lot of fantasy. I, I became a a fantasy addict in high school, and I've read it pretty much my whole life. But that is one of the things that is usually pretty front and center in most pagan-based fantasy genre of the fantasy genre is that they always put it somewhere in there, some kind of religious cult or domineering religion that is persecuting people for being themselves. Which is not to say that it doesn't have a basis in history. Yeah. No, it, and a lot of it does. I, yeah. I can think of several series where they actually use the Catholic Church in their in their fantasy kind of mm -hmm. Middle Ages type fantasy where they show the the church as being the bad guy all the time, and mm -hmm. and there have been times in the past where the church, and I would say the church, not in the sense that it's meant in the Bible, but the church as in the government entity of the Roman Catholic Church during the Middle Ages, was a very oppressive entity in a lot of people's lives. Yeah. and But that is not a true representation of Christianity or of a personal faith and how we deal with people who are outside God's law. And it's a good reminder to us that when we are portraying Christ in the world, the world is looking back at us to see how we look to them. And I don't want to be seeker-friendly yeah. because that is a, is the wrong tactic to take, where we just basically 
compromise our faith into not even being a faith because we don't want to offend people of the world. Because our faith is offensive to the world, and they're going to hate us regardless of how loving we are. But at the same time, we don't want to be the strict, dressed in white, basically cutting anybody off at the knees or the head um, for mm-hmm. for being non-Christian in their behavior because they're not saved, and we can't expect them to behave like saved people. And if we force the behavior without the change of heart, we're just basically forcing people into hell because they have to have the change of heart and to instruct the behavior and not just force the behavior on them. Yeah, you can't underestimate the necessity of the Holy Spirit when it comes to salvation. Uh, The Holy Spirit literally opens our eyes when when he comes into us. And if you're unsaved, there are things that you are going to be blind to. Mm-hmm. There are things that you simply cannot put any investment in. And that's just the way it is. So as believers, it's our job to make people look at us and go, hey, I want what you've got. Mm-hmm. Take me to your leader. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and some of that is just our attitude and the way we react to things. It's like right now with the global world seeming to fall apart, you know, that economies are crashing and wars are happening and there's now the talk of famine as early as the end of this year, a worldwide famine. You know, we've got these kinds of things going on, but as Christians, our responses to those should be what make people long to be where we are in our spiritual walk. Because we shouldn't yeah. be reacting in fear. We shouldn't be reacting with hate. We shouldn't be reacting in, with the way the rest of the world is acting. And we should be different. And that kind of difference should be a, a way that will make people want to know what we're doing. I did want to comment on the portrayal of the Roma like gypsy for the pe- travelers. Yeah, for people yeah. our age, we called them gypsies. Yeah. <laughs> But I have since come to learn that gypsy is a derogatory term. Ah, I think they call themselves the travelers, don't they? Uh, Travelers aroma, I think, is what they go by. And I actually have had a stereotypical encounter with them Mm -hmm. in Italy. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I've told this story before, but uh, when I was stationed in Italy, my wife, daughter, and I took a one-week vacation, I think it was down to Italy from where we were stationed in Germany. And we stayed at this place called Camp Darby, which is just outside of Pisa. So the day we got to camp, we got in, we got our campsite, set up our tent, and then decided it was still early evening. So we decided there was time to go look around at Pisa. So we drove to Pisa, which was only about 3K away. And we pulled into the parking lot, which was just a dirt parking lot, paid the parking fee, parked, had a wonderful time checking out the Basilica and the Leaning Tower and everything. And and we were blessed because we actually got to it before they closed access to the tower for the stabilization. I think they did that in 99 and didn't open it back up until like 2008. This is a long story. (laughs) So long story short. (laughs) We looked around and then left, and as we're driving out of the parking lot, we got charged to leave the parking lot. And I was like, that's weird. And I tried to explain it to the guy, but of course, you know, he didn't speak any English. 
got back to the campsite and we went to the commissary to grab food. And I bumped into a friend who I had been stationed with previously at the commissary and told him the, the story of paying to park and then paying to leave the parking lot. And he just laughed at me and he said, dude, parking at Pisa is free. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you were had. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out back then, you know, we, we said it was the gypsies. It was the Roma who saw an opportunity and they took it. <laughs> And these tourists didn't know any better, so, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then they claim not to speak English, so you can't argue with yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, well. But, you know, it's mostly harmless like that. But in folklore, the Roma have reputation for stealing babies to, you know, build up their ranks and, and everything like that. And the reason why he brings this up is that there's a group of people in the series that kind of yes. portray the traveling lifestyle. Quite a few stereotypical indicators of the Roma lifestyle, right. uh, the patchwork, colorful, bright colors, and their attitude of nonviolence is very common mm -hmm. among the the Roma people. But they they also they take it to extremes yeah. in the in the show. Yeah, I suspect you probably haven't gotten to it yet, but there is a scene where two of the characters are hanging out with this nonviolent tribe and they encounter the cult in white mm -hmm. have you gotten yeah, there yeah yet? it's I, i'm past where they they ran away from from that encounter but they yeah they 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 do that entire encounter without lifting yeah they just link arms and make a chain arms. yeah 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 and then they get pretty beat up for it too <laughs> very hippie yeah that's what i was thinking is a very hippie non-violence and and, you know, I think the Christian, there are a lot of Christian sects who believe in complete nonviolence as well. So I, it's not yes. an anti-Christian way of looking at things. Mm -hmm. And and I was looking up scripture, actually, before we started, I was trying to find scripture about violence. And a lot of people talk about, you know, the, Jesus saying that, you know, that there will be a come a time when you have to hammer your plowshares into swords and that kind of stuff. But Jesus himself, you know, told Peter to put down the sword. You know, those who live by the sword die by the sword. So there was a lot of wisdom on both sides of that from Jesus, that he was not he was not there to start a revolutionary war. Israelites, you know, that were facing down, you know, the Roman Empire at the time that he lived. And that, that was not his purpose in being. He was not there as a military leader. He was not going to lead them to some kind of military victory or even to uh, freedom from the Rome, because as Christ, he was represented as, you know, the thing that he needed to save us from was our sin, not from Rome or from an oppressive government. So it's it's a good reminder for, for us that nonviolence may not be our first instinct, but it may not necessarily be the worst instinct in any encounter. Because, yeah, you know, Jesus himself said, blessed are the peacemakers. So you can't make peace by reacting with violence. It should at least give us enough time to pause and think which what would be the appropriate response in any situation. And violence typically is not the best first response. And you and I were speaking before we started the recording with the feedback of our wonderful listener, Warren, <laughs> who I think is, uh, is still in our audience. Thank you very much for joining us, Warren. We were talking about how scriptures often cherry-picked mm -hmm. to support one position or the other. Right. And one of the ones that you mentioned was Matthew twenty six fifty two, when Peter has struck off the ear 
of one of the guards who has come to collect Jesus. It starts with, then Jesus told him, put your sword back in its place, because all who take up the sword will perish by the sword. And so many people stop there. Right. You know, this this supports my nonviolence positions. But the real story is in the rest of the verses. He goes on to say, or do you think I cannot call on my father and he will provide me here and now with more than 12 legions of angels? A, a legion is between 3,000 and 6,000 soldiers. And then he says, how then would scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? And that's the point, is violence has a place in its right place in time. But in this place in time, Peter was fighting to protect Jesus, but Jesus needed to be betrayed and taken this way in order for prophecy to be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. So, obviously, he speaks the truth when he says, those that uh, take up the sword will perish by the sword, because it speaks to the inherent danger of a combative attitude, right. be it the life of a U.S. soldier in combat, or, you know, even a police officer on the street in a crime-riddled municipality or something like that. It, it's a real danger. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be fighting for it. Right. Yeah. And. Like I said, it should not be our first reaction, but it should definitely be an option if it's appropriate to the situation you're in, that God doesn't tell us we can't defend ourselves, or I think it really depends on the situation, and we need to be open and sensitive to what the Spirit wants us to do in any given situation, because it, it, sometimes a reaction of violence may be the a complete opposite of what we should be doing for the sake of somebody who needs to hear about Christ. So, before we move on, I do want to remind you that you can share feedback by going to to comment on the show notes, which for this episode will be at areyoujustwatching.com slash 127. You can also call 513-818-2959 to leave a voicemail, or you can email feedback at areyoujustwatching.com uh, to give us feedback. I, I do encourage you, if you can actually text that number, 513-818-2959. So you don't actually have to call it. If it's, it's a Google voice number, so you can text it from your mobile phone. If you just want to drop us a word of encouragement that way, that's actually a really great way of reaching us. And we love to hear cool. uh, those encouragements. The other thing that we actually thought about doing this month's episode on was a movie that I mm -hmm. saw that kept popping up in the listings on Amazon called The Healer. And it's an older movie. It came out in 2017. So it's been, it's like five years old. And it looked from the previews, it looked like a really good movie. <laughs> it looked like a cute movie with a heart. Yeah, that's what it did. It, it, and, it, and since it dealt with the topic of healing, I thought it would be something that would give us a chance to talk about, you know, the spiritual gifts and that kind of stuff. Uh, watched the movie earlier this week. That shows you how up to the wire we were on trying to choose what to do our <laughs> podcast on. It didn't turn out to be that great of a movie. So I was like, I don't want to talk an entire episode about this because it would end up being a very negative review. And I don't like doing negative reviews. I will say, just going back to Wheel of Time, I am looking forward to finishing that series. It, it, it has got me pretty engrossed and I am looking forward to the end of that. But with The Healer, it was just something I thought would be a good topic genre, you know, to give us lots of themes to talk about, but it turned out to be 
in my mind, a, a pretty negative movie. Number one, it was a bit low budget, which kind of surprised me a little bit from the previews. I didn't see that. And it was、mm-hmm. one of those causation movies. It was made for a cause. I have watched a few of those now on Amazon and IMDb TV where they're movies that were made for a particular reason to present a particular cause at the end. And the cause that this was made to present was Paul Newman's foundation that promotes, like they create camps for sick children to have a, you know, just have a fun summer camp experience. And so they're accessible for children of all difficulties, whether they're、mm. dying of cancer or have some kind of physical disability that prevents them from going to a regular summer camp. And I mean, it's a great yeah, cause. It, it's called the Serious Fun Network. Yeah.、Uh, Paul Newman's camps. Yeah. Yep.、Uh, it looks like a great cause. And I definitely don't have an issue with that. It, would, it wouldn't be something that I would bad mouth or say anything bad about. But because the movie was a cause movie, It had a lot of shortcomings. <laughs> Did have a few. Yeah. The thing that bothered me the most about it was the whole premise of the movie is that this man, when he reaches 30, if he was in a specific location, would suddenly heal all the people that were around him. So if they had difficulty speaking or they had cancer or they had a blood problem, blood pressure problem, it doesn't matter what it was. If they were in his presence, they would be healed. And I'm sorry, that just. It, it, it doesn't hold up on multiple levels. Right. It, well, it's a perversion <laughs> of the whole concept of what the gift of healing scripturally was. And exactly. They try to work religious stuff into the movie, but they do it in such a poor way that it's like, ouch. So his initial trip to this location was paid for by an, a mysterious uncle who pops up out of nowhere. That he didn't even know he had. He thought he had no family. And this uncle says, I'll pay off all your debts if you'll go live this in this location for a year. And it has to be timed just right because he has to turn 30 while he's there.、Hmm. He doesn't realize he has this gift. They kind of set him up so that he puts an ad in the paper to sell his gifts of fixing electronic things. And all these people show up for wanting to be fixed medically. And so there's, that's supposed to be the comedic thing, you know, that he comes down, he's got all these people in his house that want to be healed. And that was not what he was, was. He thinks he's being cute when he calls his company the healer. Right. Yeah. The comedy of it just kind of all fell flat. Nothing was really funny. I think that was mainly a timing issue, but also I just wasn't invested enough going into it to find any of the situations funny. Mm-hmm. But there was two characters that were the Christian characters in the movie. There was the priest that kind of protects him from his, the people who are coming after him because of his debts in, was it London where he was? Yeah. England. England, yeah. And then he moves to Nova Scotia, the location where he becomes the healer. And he meets up with this priest who seems to be a- against him for leading the flock astray or whatever. And he accidentally kills the priest and then brings him back to life. Well. The, the priest has a heart attack while、yeah. they're arguing. I don't, I, don't, I wouldn't say he accidentally kills the yeah, priest. Yeah. Well, I mean, if he hadn't been able to resurrect him,、mm-hmm. it might have been considered manslaughter simply from the appearance of it. Oh, yeah. The video was sort of. Yeah. 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 Anyway, this all comes down to the fact that then the priest comes to him and says, I lost my faith. I was just going through the motions. This is a. Priest at the local church saying, I was just going through the motions. 
shows you how many pastors, priests, and teachers might actually not be saved. <laughs> mm-hmm. They feel a calling on their lives and they go into it and then they're just going through the motions, which is a little bit of a scary thought, but I'm sure it happens more than we want to think. Oh, yeah. But the scripture, after all of this, because I, I could go on about the negative things in the movie, there is a scene where he, he gives up his g- gift of healing and then he wants it back. And he goes to the church, he goes to the priest first, and can you talk to the big guy about giving me my gift of healing back? And he says, no, that's something you have to talk to the God in yourself. So he goes to the church, and he ends up cursing Christ. He basically says, I, I don't even want to say the dialogue yeah, of it. it, yeah. it, just, it, it he, he rails against God. He rails against God and walks out and gets his gift of healing back. And that entire premise just threw me out of the movie entirely. I was like, Okay, so he doesn't even go in. He goes in with amazing arrogance, demands that God give him his gift of healing back, and destroyed the whole good feeling that had been generated up to that point in the movie. I think it serves the entire idea behind religion in The Healer, and that is that God is there to serve people, not the other way around. Right, right. And, you know, God is just a supernatural tool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to- a toolbox. All you have to do is get angry enough at and, you know, he'll relent and okay, you can have your gift back. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm going to read a, a fairly long stretch of scripture, but I think it it applies basically to my reaction to this movie. 1 Corinthians 12:1 through 11. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, You used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God works all of them in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit, to another a message of knowledge by the Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of the healing by the one Spirit, to another the performing of miracles, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. One and the same Spirit is active in all of these, distributing to each person as he wills. So, I think that speaks to this movie because whatever thing he was healing through, it was not the Spirit of God. And his arrogance in in addressing God only went to prove that, that he was cursing God, basically. So that cannot be the Spirit of God. It can only be not the Spirit of God that causes one to curse Jesus. So despite the religiosity of this movie, it was far from religious, and I actually would recommend people not to watch it. I can go with that. Do you have anything else to say? No. no. (laughs) I mean, it was a movie that was okay until you considered how far off pace it actually was. Yeah. In the end, it does more harm than good. Yeah. That's why I wouldn't recommend watching it. It's not worth your time. Even though it was a short movie, it's still not worth your time. (laughs) So we do want to remind people that they can connect with us through, right now, Discord. I mean, if you were like Warren, you could be listening to us record this. That is, (laughs) are you just watching dot com slash Discord will get you the invite to our Discord server. It hasn't been as active as I would like it to be. I would love to see 
more people get involved in the community. We have open chat rooms where you can actually just join in and sit around and talk about movies or theology or whatever you want. I think it would be a great forum for that if we could just get more people involved. So we really request that you come join us there. When you do join, there are rules you have to agree to. And I wanted to remind you that when you come in, you have to assign yourself roles. That's after you agree to the rules, then you go in and and get roles. And that will allow you to see the recording channel where we're currently recording. Because if you haven't assigned yourself a role, you won't be able to see the recording channel. I think a few people have joined in, not seen anything and then left. And that's because they didn't assign themselves roles. We could also join our Facebook group, which is areyoujustwatching.com slash community is the shortcut for that. I'm not as active in Facebook as I used to be. Uh, it's become kind of a toxic place and Tim's completely gone. So you can interact with some of our listeners there, but we're not as active there as we used to be. And we do ask that you subscribe, rate, and review our podcast wherever you're listening to it. Please. Okay, so the next one that we're going to talk about is going to be me. You're going to hear me talk a lot because <laughs> Tim has not mm-hmm. seen this. It's a show called Mayday Air Disaster, and it's been around for 22 seasons. They just finished their, their 22nd season this year. Almost as long as people have been flying. <laughs> yeah. oh, wait. No, not quite. It's called Mayday Air Disaster, and I've been watching it through the Wonder Channel on YouTube, and I believe there are probably, I think I, fa- I was introduced to it on Facebook. So there's actually a Facebook group that is airing some of the videos for it. But it is a documentary series on air disasters. Each episode takes an, a famous or not famous air disaster, a real life occurrence that happened, and they reenact it to show you kind of how it happened. And then they go through the NTSB's investigation into that crash and how they determine what caused it. And then they usually finish up with what recommendations are made to air flight in general, aircraft manufacturers or uh, air traffic controllers or whatever it caused the accident to prevent such a thing from happening again. And I found it really interesting because, number one, it's kind of a gumshoe investigation kind of thing where, you know, they introduce you to the investigator who went into the crash and the steps he takes to try and figure out what happened. And they go into like the black boxes. And a lot of times, you know, there aren't any survivors. So they go by, you know, what was said on in the cockpit, what was said by the air traffic controllers. And it's just a mystery that they're trying to solve. There was one particular episode I remember where they end up dealing with three separate air disasters because in the first one, they never could figure out what happened. And it was over a series of a decade where they had uh, multiple crashes before they were able to figure out what was causing the problem. And I think it is amazing that in this situation of this particular episode, I believe the first one was a Dallas crash where they were coming in to land and the and the plane just suddenly dived into the ground and killed everybody on board. And then they had a, another one that was the same thing. And then they had one where the pilot, it happened to the pilot where his plane just suddenly reversed in the air, went one side and, and he was trying to turn it to get it to level out and it wouldn't do it. And then suddenly it released and he was able to level out and he was able, it happened to him like three times and he was able to land the plane And that was where they found where the problem was. And it had affected all of these planes. And 
his was the first one that had survived it. And they, and it was a little device inside the rudder system where it was uh, controlling the rudder on the tail of the plane. And it would just suddenly lock up. And when it locked up, it would actually reverse the rudder. So they were pushing on it to try and get it to right itself. And they were actually forcing it to go the wrong way because it was reversing. And when it happens close to the ground, they didn't have the altitude to fix it. And they would just ram into the ground. And when they would test this device, it would work because what they found out what was causing it to freeze up was it would actually get thermal shock. And they had to actually Mm. thermal shock it to have it mess up. And once it warmed up, it would go back to normal use and they never could, you know, get it to actually malfunction. It was a combination of environmental and situational modifiers that were very difficult to to track down. Yeah. Duplicate. Right. And that's interesting. So it killed a lot of people before they figured out what was happening. And so they had to redesign the part so it would not react to thermal shock. So, I mean, it was just this itty bitty little thing in the tail killed people. So one of the things that come out of watching a lot of these episodes is the old proverb for one of a nail. Mm -hmm. I love that one. Yeah, I end up saying it over and over again. The proverb goes, for one of a nail, the shoe was lost. For one of a shoe, the horse was lost. For one of a horse, the rider was lost. For one of the rider, the message was lost. For one of the message, the battle was lost. For one of the battle, the kingdom was lost. All for the one of a horseshoe nail. And that comes across so many times in these episodes. You come out thinking it's like one little tiny thing. And there's, I, I think it was uh, Ken Ham that says it often in some of his speaking is that there are thousands of parts in an airplane. And it's sobering when you mm. realize that not a single one of them flies. So, <laughs> or they all fly like a brick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, when you have just one little thing break, it can cause a lot of issues. So, yeah, I love this the show because it just the problem solving and the the whole idea of the the amount of trust that we put into a plane when we get on it. There's so many things that can go wrong. The pilot can be inattentive. The Baggage handler could have closed the baggage door wrong. That's caused a lot of fatal crashes, believe it or not. There's a particular kind of plane where the baggage door, the cargo door, closes from the outside instead of the standard door that is on the inside and and basically plugs the hole. And and if that door is not properly locked, it will come open when the cabin pressure becomes greater than the outside pressure. It pushes the door open and then it, it destroys planes. So there's a lot of this, you know, inattention to detail that causes, you know, an air traffic controller can get his planes mixed up, causes collisions in the air. A lot of times mm-hmm. that has, is usually, not always, but usually an air traffic controller issue. There's maintenance workers who didn't properly maintain parts of the plane that fail at certain altitudes. All of these things, there's countless variables that go into what causes an, a plane to crash. And and yet we get on them. We have the trust that when we get on those planes, they're going to work. And my mom asked me after I told her about watching, you know, multiple episodes of the show, she's <laughs> like, aren't you scared of flying now? And I'm like, I don't think so. Driving is actually more dangerous. 
and still, it's still riskier to drive. But ultimately, the reason why I don't think it would make me scared to fly is because of the sovereignty of God. Yeah, yeah. Thinking about that, in Luke 13, 1 through 5, it says, At that time, some people came and reported to him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And he responded to them, Do you think that these Galileans were more sinful than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. Or those 18 that the tower in Siloam fell on and killed, do you think that they were more sinful than all the other people who live in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. And that's the ultimate thought when, you, when you're when you studying disasters and people who die. You have to remember, none of that catches God by surprise. He, he knows the number of our days from the moment we're conceived. And... If you're a person on a plane that, you know, some maintenance person forgot to, you know, fix a part and it has a disaster midair and and you go to heaven, that didn't catch God by surprise. He orchestrated all of that. He was sovereign. He's got everything waiting. Yeah. Yeah. So while it's fascinating to watch these shows and to be awe-inspired by the mechanical nature of planes and, and what keeps them in the sky. I don't think it's a reason to be frightened. Yeah. Yeah, I when I fly, I despise turbulence in, in flying. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm a white-knuckle flyer when, <laughs> when it comes to turbulence. Yeah. And my ultimate comfort comes from the sovereignty of God. But I also, you know... In my mind, and I hope this doesn't make me heretical, (laughs) I also think, okay, Bernoulli's principle (laughs) means that this plane is far more likely to stay up in the air than than not. Mm -hmm. And flying is so much safer than almost any other mode of transportation out there. And, you know, I find a little comfort in the math and in the science behind it. On top of the wonder in how God created the laws of the natural universe. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah, I'm sort of the same way. Now, Warren mentioned in the live chat, which you could be chatting with us if you were listening right now, (laughs) that he mentioned the story of Sully, which we we did the movie Sully. And one of the things that they really present in the movie Sully is that it really makes it look like the NTSB is really out to get him, like prove that he could have Mm. landed at an airport or whatever. They did an episode on the Miracle of the Hudson. I can't remember now. They called it Landing on the Hudson or something like that was the name of the episode. And it's definitely a different perspective when you're looking at it from a documentary standpoint, because in that episode, almost from the get-go, when they started, they they ruled out the fact that he could have possibly made it to an airport because of the decision-making time that it took to realize that you're but you'd lost all your engines and you couldn't restart them, and by then it was too late. So... The whole concept, the whole premise of the movie, Sully, which was um, probably, I think, almost two hour long movie, was dealt with in like a five minute, oh, and we already ruled this out (laughs) in the the one hour episode on that. And then they go into talking about bird strike and the problem with birds at airports and the things that airports are trying to do to prevent bird strike. And it was a really interesting episode because what I appreciate about these shows is that they always end up at the end with, this was what caused this. This is what we, the steps we are taking to try and solve it, to keep it from ever happening again. 
And I really appreciate that. It's not, it's, it gives purpose to the loss of life. And there are episodes, obviously, where no lives were lost. I mean, because in, in the landing on the Hudson, there wasn't any lives lost. There was another one that I really appreciated where there was this story of a jet that took off, I think it was in Canada, and they had changed, I think it was the, they were flying a new jet and it calculated its fuel in gallons instead of. Oh, no. Kilograms instead of liters, liters or, or they went from the, metric, or the other way around. Yeah, it yeah. was it was one way or the other, and the pilots were used to doing it the other way, and so they ended up having half the load of fuel on their plane than they were supposed to, and so they were only halfway through their trip and they ran out of fuel. And at first, they didn't understand why they'd run out of fuel because they didn't understand they'd calculated their load wrong. And this pilot ends up gliding the plane. They turn around and they they find it an abandoned air base that they knew about that was closest that they could get to and land the plane. And he literally glides this jet into this. And what they didn't realize was that the air base had been converted into a drag strip. And if it hadn't been converted into a drag strip, they would have saved the plane. But because there was the divider line down the middle, they hit that with the plane when he lands, but does damage to the plane, but everybody gets off and he Nice. Just amazing piloting to be able to to fly a plane as far as he did without any fuel. Mm. But I mean, it's just stories like that. I appreciate positive ones where people walk away alive, but it's still pretty fascinating how they find out what went wrong on planes where nobody survives. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's a good show. I, I would encourage people to look it up. Like I said, it's on YouTube, so it's free. Cool. So the last thing that I wanted to talk about, uh, and I'll make this as brief as possible, (laughs) I have for most of my life been a fan of Star Trek. You know, no no surprise, I'm a geek. It's I watched reruns of the original series back in the late 70s and early 80s Mm -hmm. and have basically watched every Star Trek series – since the start of Star Trek The Next Generation in the 80s. And Star Trek has recently had a renaissance where it has come back. The last series to end, I think, was Star Trek Enterprise, and it didn't go out on a very good note. The last episode was really badly written, and the series was canceled for many of the wrong reasons. Hmm. So Star Trek sort of went into hiatus. It had a couple... Fairly well-performing movies by J.J. Abrams, but it didn't come back to the small screen until, I believe it was the release of Star Trek Discovery four years ago, maybe five years ago now. So since that renaissance started, they've had five shows, four shows, one, two, three, four, five shows with the Star Trek name, Star Trek Discovery which the series actually begins the timeline before Star Trek, the original series, and then takes some really wild leaps. And then there's Star Trek Picard, which has Patrick Stewart reprising his role as Picard, but as a retired admiral and the trouble he gets into. There's an animated series called Star Trek Below Decks, which is an irreverent look in the vein of, you know, Seth MacFarlane and Matt Groening. You know, that kind of irreverent humor. And then more recently, there's also Star Trek Prodigy, which is in cooperation with Nickelodeon. So it's uh, it's targeted at young adults and early 
teens. And in just a couple of weeks, a new one comes out, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which is the voyages of the Enterprise before Kirk became the captain. And if you know anything about the original series, the first two episodes, both of which were actually pilots, deal with – and I might be wrong about it being the first two episodes – but they both deal with the previous captain of the Enterprise, uh, Pike, who becomes injured and, and uh, wheelchair-bound and everything like that. And I wanted to bring this up because Star Trek – the original series was the first to really, on the small screen, be able to couch radical social commentary into its stories and still get it past the censors because it disguised it as moral quandaries related to the interaction between humans and the alien races that they encounter. And, and that was a really big thing for Gene Roddenberry. He said, if man is to survive, he will have learned to take delight in the essential differences between men and different cultures. He will learn the differences in ideas and attitudes are delight, part of life's exciting variety, not something to fear. And clearly he had the early 2020 political scene in mind when he said that, because uh, that definitely isn't the case anymore. <laughs> but I wanted to bring this up because... There is a lot of truth in what Roddenberry said in that quote and in in the efforts of the the Star Trek series to include diversification and social issues and everything like that. But we live in uh, a time where the LGBTQ lobby has gone past the idea of preventing discrimination and gone into an attitude of an almost quasi-militant enforcement of their values over top of other people's values. I had a high school teacher who taught man's cultural heritage, and he had a saying that has stuck with me my entire life, your right to express yourself ends at the end of my nose, meaning you can want to punch me all you want, but as soon as you do, you've broken the law. And I think that is the line that has been crossed in shows like Discovery and Picard in particular, below decks to some extent, but because it's animated in such a comic fashion, it doesn't carry as much weight. Prodigy, because of the audience it's aimed at, doesn't really have much by way of sexuality yet. But I am sure, I am absolutely sure that by the end of the second season, we'll see strong suggestions that, you know, this is okay and, and anybody who opposes it is evil. But Discovery, Picard, they both are sporting LGBTQ characters, which is – it's actually – in my mind, it's good because as Christians, we know what the Bible says about homosexual behavior and we can stand against it, but we should not be doing so without remembering that we need to be loving when we do it. We can speak the truth, you know – day and night, but if we do it without love, 
then we're not serving anyone. But these series, they've gone beyond representation. They've gone to agenda. Yeah, exactly. They've gone beyond representation and are forcing agenda to the point where people who oppose the agenda are by default the bad guys. Mm -hmm. And it's that kind of divisive behavior from either side of the aisle, from the Christian side of the aisle where – you know, you assume that every queer character is, you know, an evil person to the opposite side of the aisle where you assume that every religious person is part of an evil sect that wants to burn you at the stake. And that's not what Christ ever wanted. I mean, <laughs> we see that he went to tax collectors' houses. He spoke to prostitutes. He stood up for the woman they were about to stone by pointing out exactly what you were talking about earlier. Everyone has sinned. Everyone requires God's saving grace. Mm-hmm. Right. But they're, it, they're to the point in Star Trek where they're damaging the good part of their agenda, which means a loving understanding, even if it's not acceptance. <laughs> where we can accept people as people and that will only help our ministry because it will help us to witness on a common ground, which we can't do if they come at us like we're enemies or we come at them like they're enemies. Yeah. So that's why I wanted to bring it up. Well, I was going to say, I just say you're glutton for punishment. I gave up on Star Trek after (laughs) Voyager, I think was the last one I watched. I started watching Enterprise and it was just so badly done and it and it had so much agenda driven stuff in it. Mm. And it it was the start of the agenda portion. Well, yeah. and it had characters in there that were thrown in there just for the sake of representing a particular thing and and I was like it it no longer I think it was really when it left Gene Roddenberry's vision for the show and then everything since then is mm-hmm. not well, of course Roddenberry's dead now, but it it's been something else. It's like somebody took the idea of Star Trek and twisted it into something else. I like the originals yeah. more. And I just, I gave up at Enterprise and I haven't even bothered to check out the new ones. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you probably won't enjoy it if you don't like Star Trek for the same general, you know, wow, yeah. eye candy type now, I like reasons the movies. that I enjoy it. I like J.J. Abrams movies. I liked those. Yeah. But I, I loved rebooting Star Trek in that way. But I, I've kind of just, when I realized that it had become more of about the agenda and less about the exploration of societal differences, because that's really what Star Trek was originally about and mm-hmm. exploring through science is like what, you know, our earlier discussion about fantasy, you know, this, uh, fantasy and science fiction was always about taking common societal and political issues and exaggerating them for the purpose of discussion. And, there is agenda in that, don't get me wrong, but there was a purity in the way Star Trek did it originally, and now it's all about the agenda, and it's not a- about anything else. And speaking blindly, yeah. as I haven't seen any of the new ones. <laughs> <laughs> but I get your point. I do. Yep. Well, that's it. That's the last thing I wanted to bring up. All right. Well, we have already shared all of our normal closing program stuff, so... We can just tell everybody we have been loosely discussing what we're going to do in May. I think we're our 
options are going to get better as we get towards summer. So I'm pretty sure we'll do a new release movie for May. We just haven't quite settled on which one it will be. If you have a suggestion that you would like us to do, then feel free to contact us to make those suggestions. We value your input, as we've said multiple times through this episode. I think Bad Guys was one of the ones we thought about. And also, Doctor Strange Strange is... Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, I think. So those are a couple options, but we are welcome to your input. So thank you so much for listening. I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And don't just watch. The Christian Podcast Community is a cohesive group of like-minded Christian podcasters proclaiming the truths of Christ with expertise and passion in the areas of theology, church history, Christian living, evangelism, apologetics, parenting, homeschooling, sermons, and much, much more. So check us out at ChristianPodcastCommunity.org. One stop for all your favorite Christian podcasts. ChristianPodcastCommunity.org.